the system is, is not perfect yet, but what we're getting, we're getting perfect results. And uh, that's the most important thing coming off an 0-6. I think, I think we've responded against all adversity uh, with, with an incredible mentality. And I think the growing in confidence, the growing in belief. And uh, I'm really pleased. Another big win this past weekend, and this time it was a young Honduran who both led the way and made for a late scare. Hello everyone, hola a todos, welcome back to Miami Total Football Radio, the number one and most listened to Inter-Miami focused podcast that provides you with all the latest news, analysis, opinions, inside information, general punditry, and much more via a team of seasoned South Florida based reporters. This is also where the beautiful game collides with passion and analysis. My name is Franco Panizo. I am one of your usual co-hosts of this podcast. And, of course, joining me is another member of the squad. And I think, I think he and his colleague slash missus are splitting the duties once again. But, of course, I'm talking about Jose Armando, who had missed the last podcast or two if I'm not mistaken so curious to hear his thoughts because uh he hasn't had a chance to eat crow yet or take back his poor take uh Jose before we get into all that how are you doing tonight uh good I will not apologize just to be clear <laughs> hey you gotta say you don't have to apologize but you can say you know say you were wrong raise your hand and say you were wrong uh no 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 way uh but but I'm, but I'm doing fine and 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 i guess now i'm even happier to be back because i guess you're still in fantasy land when it comes to inter miami i missed a pod you were you know on cloud nine excited about the progress close to a championship team it feels like now maybe you're taking a step even further so i'm happy to be back and and to get back into it so that means there should be another juicy episode. No Ajisita on the first of what should be two pods this week. We should have another one after the midweek game. So it's just Jose and I, and I'm very curious to hear what he's got to say. Because Jose, while he hasn't been on the pod, we've talked plenty about Inter-Miami via our famed WhatsApp group that is full of all different types of stickers, soccer and dogs alike. And then I post has a lot of dog stickers. I love dogs, but... I mean, Andrea's obsessed with dogs, apparently, because she's just got <laughs> nonstop stickers of dogs. All the different types of stickers of dogs that you could imagine, with flowers on their heads, with, like, making all different types of faces. It's it's remarkable. I don't know where she finds them. But nonetheless, Jose, I'm shocked that you did not ask me what I thought about your beloved and famed baleada that you and Andrea got me for my birthday this past weekend. I'm shocked. Well, uh, I've heard some comments that you made, so... You are, you, you, you cannot, well, I guess when we get into it and we explain the whole thing, but you labeled my baleada, my beloved baleada as an eight, as an eight out of 10, Yeah, which is a horrible rating because <laughs> it's clearly a 10. It's clearly a 10 without a doubt. So I don't know if you want to bring that topic into the pod. Listen, I, I, I don't know. I'm, listen, I'm upset about that, about that. Listen, the baleada... Is like Rodolfo Pizarro. Not quite a 10, maybe more of an 8. Solid. Solid. I liked it, though. I did like it. Jokes aside, I liked it. 
Uh, my first one ever. So for you listeners who may or may not know, most of you probably do know at this point, uh, Jose and Andrea had for a long time said that they would introduce me to the fascinating Honduran dish or plate or food that is a baleada, and that never happened. Didn't matter what occasion it was or how many times we said that it would happen, it just didn't happen. But finally, at long last, for my birthday this past Saturday, yes, during the Inter Miami game, I was celebrating my birthday, Andrea brought me a baleada, and I ate it prior to kickoff, and it was very good. I give it two thumbs up. They asked me to give it a one through ten. They put me on the spot. I said an eight. Solid eight. Something that's tasty and good. Not my, not the best thing I've ever had in my life, but it was good. I thought about eating it on our way to the, to the, to the stadium. <laughs> Cause you know, we were together, but I should have, I should have. It was good. Jose. It was good. Jose. It was good. I mean, listen, to be fair, and something that I noted, it was cold at the point that, that I ate it, right? It wasn't warm, and there's no microwave. Here's a, a bit of insight. There's no microwave inside Inter Miami's press box. So if the food gets cold, well, the food is cold. So, um, you know, if it was warm, maybe, maybe. It's an eight and a half, maybe. But anyway, aside from our culinary tastes, we have a lot to talk about, Jose, because... This week's show, we've got to recap the win against the New England Revolution. We've got to talk about the individual performances of David Ruiz. We've got to talk about Inner Miami's turnaround. And I think this is a fascinating topic on this week's show. I'm looking forward to speaking with you about it because we haven't really talked about that with one another. Why does this team have to struggle before then turning things around? Why does it have to go through a rough patch under Phil Neville to then start to find its footing. I think there's some interesting analysis and theories that could be had there. I have my thoughts. I have my opinions. So we'll be doing that later in the pod as well. So, Jose, a lot to talk about on this week's first episode of Miami Total Football Radio. Let's get to it. Okay, Jose, so Inter Miami played at home once again this past Saturday against the New England Revolution at Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. On May 13th, yes, <clears throat> my birthday. Uh, so, David Ruiz scored the early opener for Inter-Miami. It was canceled out by a Carles Hill goal in the 26th minute. Joseph Martinez put the go-ahead finish, or authored the go-ahead finish, right before halftime. And that was it. Inter-Miami held on for the 2-1 to victory against the Revolution. Now, David Ruiz, El Catracho, your Honduran. Got a red card in the 81st minute, so it made for a nervier finish than you might have expected otherwise. But nonetheless, Inter Miami sees it through until the end. They pick up three more points to move up to, at that point it was fifth place, but after the weekend's results, sixth place in the Eastern Conference. This was the starting lineup in the game, playing in a 5-3-2 formation. Yeah, Drake Callender and goal. DeAndre Yedlin, Christopher McVeigh, Ryan Saylor, Kamal Miller, and Robert Taylor comprising the back five. Sergi Kristoff was out with an injury. The midfield trio was Dixon Arroyo, David Ruiz, Benjamin Kremaski. And up top, Joseph Martinez and Leonardo Campana starting together. Something you had been clamoring for for multiple pods in recent weeks. So, Jose... Very quickly, before we dive into any more of the game, 
right? Because just touched on the overall recap. But before we go into any more of the game, is this yet another sign of progress with regards to Inter-Miami? Because they're, they're, they're on a roll. They're on a roll. There's no denying that they have now found a bit of their footing, right? Look where they are in the table. Look at the recent I results. I don't know if they are on a roll. Jose. I, I, I don't think they are. I think they're getting results. But, you know, if they if you look at the first 15 minutes of the match against New England, they they showed a level of play that was not there in their previous two two matches that they won. You know, if if you watch that game back and you really analyze the first 10 to 15 minutes of the match, then. You know, you, you, you'll be pleasantly surprised by Inter-Miami. If that's the only 15 minutes you've been watching in the entire season, you'll think this is a good team. Those first 15 minutes, to me, were progress. Those first 15 minutes were more progress than the, than the last two, three matches that they have won. So, uh, I don't know if they are on a roll. They are getting good results, but they are not playing good brand of soccer. You know, they couldn't sustain that level of play for more than 15 minutes and 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 that's something that's that's a, an everyday thing with inter miami this year whenever they have played at, at a good level they can only do it for 15 to 20 minutes no more than that so i don't know if they're there are in a role when it comes to the level of play are they getting good results yes they are getting good results they're winning games but you know to me getting on a roll means you're playing well and you're winning matches i don't think they're playing well jose Progress doesn't just mean playing well. Progress means turning things around and getting results. This you team said was they're on a roll. Jose, they, are on a they roll. haven't I lost. They have not lost. Jose. Okay, I, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I've been looking forward to this conversation because we've had it, you know, in, in bits and pieces in WhatsApp, but we haven't really been able to to have a full dialogue. Save the good stuff for the podcast. Jose, this team was on an 0 and 6 run. Since that 0 and 6 run, they are now. Five games unbeaten. Not a five-game winning streak because, again, I insist and will continue to stick with the actual fact that that game against Miami FC was a tie. That's what it goes into in in the record books, although Inter-Miami advanced because they won the penalty kick shootout that followed that tie. They're five games unbeaten. Four wins in a row in that five-game unbeaten streak. Jose, how can you tell me that there's no progress or that there's minimal progress when the results completely show otherwise. And I'm not, listen, it's not just about how you play the brand of football. Not every team plays a beautiful style or an aesthetically pleasing style. This is a, a team that's not probably not going to be able to play that attractive and win games consistently. Based on what we've seen, based on, like I talked with Andrea last week, based on what Phil Neville is. So how can you sit there and say that that's not progress from going from 0-6 to now 4-1-0? I think it's debatable to think that this team cannot play at a high level because, you know, clearly they did it at some point against New England, which is one of the top teams in in the Eastern Conference. So the matter is, why can't can't they do it for more than 15 to 20 minutes? <laughs> the other team plays, Jose. The other team also plays. It's not, it's not, this is not golf where you just play by yourself never- and there's nobody else that plays with you. Oh, okay, so you expect a good team to play only well for 15 to 20 minutes in a match? But is that your expectation Jose, of a good team? Jose, who, who, why, why is a good team defined as playing well with the ball? There are plenty of teams 
who defend well and they're good teams because they defend well and then they hit on the other end when they need to hit, be it off a set piece, be it off opportunistic finishing, whatever it is, like it, playing well. Is if you want to get into the conversation of teams winning in, in, in each and in every single way that is possible, every team is different. So, you know, we can debate that for hours, for hours and hours and days and months and years <laughs> because we will find another example you, every, every minute, every minute you think there's a there's a there's a team, another team that plays differently and that wins games. We're talking about Inter Miami. We know Inter Miami. We know the the day to day of Inter Miami. We don't know the day to day of any other team as we do Inter Miami. And so that's what I'm telling you. You know, if they play good for 15 to 20 minutes, to me that's not enough. To me that's not enough. I I I say I say that it's not enough because you know. Remember our predictions early in the season. We thought they would make it into the playoffs. They'll be a playoff team. Correct. If they continue to play this way, they will not be in the playoffs. Regardless uh, of no, see, no, winning, no, the games that they have been winning, you know, it's not going to be consistent in the long run for them to win games the way no. they did it against. No, Those. that's that's I I, I, can't, I can't agree with that. I can't agree with that. And then this is where I'll raise my hand and say. Maybe because it's not. We'll see. But maybe I got it wrong because when we initially talked about. Uh, how they beat Columbus, all three of us, you, Andrea, and myself, all said that over a longer haul, we didn't see Inter Miami, you know, turning out the wins consistently. And maybe that will still prove the case, but maybe not. But the initial returns, playing a more defensive-minded style, have yielded results, Jose. And they've yielded better performance levels not necessarily with the ball but overall in terms of being competitive in terms of playing tactically an intelligent game in terms of defensively being solid like they've played better in that and sorry they've performed better in those aspects and i think one very key element here that neither you or andrea have really taken into account or have at least not not in the discussions that we've that we've had via either WhatsApp or here, is that Inter Miami has lost two key starting midfielders. They lost Gregory in week three. And then at the start of this month, they lost Jean Mota. They lost Jose. Jose. They lose Jean Mota. Jose. They lose Jean Mota to a right LCL injury. Right? This was announced on May 4th. And we, we touched on the subject a little bit on the last pod with Andrea, but we didn't really go into detail. Gene Mota suffered a right LCL injury, and he's expected to miss four to six months. He is el fútbol del equipo. He is the link between the defense and the attack, and they have no other player like him for that position, for that eight position. Nobody else. Not David Ruiz, not Benjamin Kremarski, nobody. So without him, they lose a lot of football, a ton of football. So I don't know how you can expect this team to play beautiful brand of soccer when they the only player that can do that function and do that role and have those responsibilities on the first line of the midfield is now out for much of if not all of the season i don't understand they, how you can expect that team new england. how was it possible for they for them to do it against new england how was it possible then how was it possible and then you know if you take that into the consideration then that means that when they end up in another losing streak then you you're not going to have you're, you're going to have nothing to say because you'll be like okay they don't have Mota and Gregory and that's why they're struggling and that's it 
and we all just have to lay down to rest and wait until those two guys are back so that we can continue to judge this team. If that if that's your analysis, you know it, they said they had a deep roster. They said they had a deep roster. Jose, well, it doesn't mean they can say they can say that the, the sky is green. Doesn't mean the sky is green, Jose. John Mota gets hurt. Listen, Franco. As much as you want to put John Mota on a pedestal, he is no Carles Hill. I mean, he is nothing spectacular. I mean, he's a solid player. Helps you from the build up. Yes, but takes a good shot every now and then, but he's not an over-the-top talent. If you put Gene Mota in the market right now, and in the MLS market, I doubt it that five teams are looking for him. So, I mean, don't be so dramatic about them missing. If they're missing Campana... Jose, then he, yes. was, he was the best field what player. He was the best field player they had up until his injury. Best field player. You like him as a player. You like him as a player. Phil likes him as a player. Maybe everybody likes him as a player, but he's out. You need to find answers. It's not that big a problem to find a solution to that. If Campana gets hurt, then there's problem. There's there's no, a bigger. See, that, 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 you're, now you're just comparing what you deem or who you deem to be the most important player, which maybe Campana would be the most important player. But that's not okay. what we're talking about. We're talking about they lost. They lost the only player in the midfield that can build out of the back cleanly with a range of passes. Right? You talked about his shooting from distance, but it's Mota's calmness under pressure, his ability to turn and pick out a pass, whether it's a short pass on the ground, a little flick pass, a long ball, diagonal to, to, the, to the flanks. Like He has a range of passes that helps Inter Miami turn to their football. Does Inter Miami have anybody else in that midfield that can do that on this, on this roster? Yes or no? Jose, you know the profiles of the players. You've covered this team. Does anybody else in that midfield have those abilities? Yes or no? Yes. Who? Yes, Who? Any player could do that. No. Any player could do that. Jose, you're, you're, you've been playing FIFA. You've been playing way too much FIFA to say that every player, that any player can do that. That's that's ridiculous. Could ridiculous. Do that. Benja could do that. I think I think he might be young and he might have an off day here and then, but I think Benja is good enough to do that. I mean, to me, Mota, I, again, he's a solid player, but, you know, he's not going to define the season for my team. There's no way. There's no way. If John Mata is out and my season is over, then there's something wrong with me as a coach. I mean, clearly. So, I, I don't know. It, it's interesting to me because you're talking about John Mota being out as that big a deal. And at the same time, just five minutes ago, you told me that this is a playoff team. So, if you're missing... There's your... nine teams that make the playoffs, Jose. Nine teams make the playoffs. Right, right. So, they're going to have to win some games, right? They're going to have to win some And games. are they not winning games, Jose? Are they not winning games now? Telling you right now, then Jin Mota maybe is not that big a deal as you think he is. In so terms of playing him. football, in terms of playing with the ball, he is important. Yes, he is important. In terms, now they found a different way to play without him, and they found a way to win by playing in this different fashion. And that is that's the where I I, I don't understand what, why you and Andrea like can't wrap your head around it. Like I don't understand like why well, the, that why is such an adamant. Maybe we analyze the game differently because I don't think the game against New England is the same game that they play against Columbus or previously. I think this game against Columbus, against New England, I'm sorry, is much better than what they did in the last few weeks. It, I mean, I agree that I think it was better. I agree with that. On Saturday, it's closer to something that to something that might be uh, progress, but. 
the the previous games are no progress at all. I mean, you're not going to win anything at all in this league playing like that. You're not going to win it. It's just it's. But <laughs> I think the the conversation will change in a few weeks when they're struggling again, when they are down early and then they can't come back because they are so defensive minded and then you know everybody start, is going to start criticizing again what they're praising now it's just you know that's the way it is you talked about why why does inter miami have to struggle at some point to turn things around it's the same overreaction from the outside as well they end up in a losing streak and everything's going down the road, then they win three games, and then they are the best team in the league. That's the same overreaction for the last three years of existence for Inter Miami. My, my my head hurts listening to you say that they like that. There's this this idea that they're the best team in the league. Nobody is saying that. No one is saying that. Nobody. Talking about Jean Mota, like he's you know he I'm... is important to Inter Miami's footballing aspects. Without him, they lose a lot of football. And if the fact that you think that like there's other players. In this roster that can give you what Gene Mota does is to me, to me, baffling, Jose. Baffling. Because there's nobody that has shown it, nobody that has done it to show to say, okay, that player can do what Gene Mota does. Gene Mota's out, all right, this guy's the next man up, and that guy's gonna do the exact same roles and responsibilities and do it almost just as well as Gene Mota. I'm not saying Gene Mota is uh, one of the top five central midfielders in the league, but for Inter Miami, he's an integral part to their ability to play football. Nice football with the ball. I would agree he's likable. Yeah, I would agree he's likable. I like him as a player as well. I like him as a person, of course. I think he's very nice with us, at least. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what that is. That has nothing to do with what we're talking Come on. about. But... Come on. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. It has a lot to do. I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. Likable no... personality and, you know... When he's out, he's the best. When he's in, plays bad, he's the absolute worst. And he's in a... He needs to get out of here. Yeah, I know, I know, I know how it is. I know how it is. I mean, if you play well, you get praise. If you don't, you get criticized. I mean, that's pretty standard, Jose. Pretty standard. But anyway, all right. Well, we'll move on to the actual game here. Your overall thoughts, and I know you've touched on it a little bit there, on the overall collective performance. Yes, you thought the first 15 minutes were a little bit of progress. But just overall, their ability ability to beat the top team in the Eastern Conference at home this past Saturday. Yeah, I, th I thought it was a better performance. Like I said, I think the first 15 minutes, I really enjoyed that. I mean, I don't know if, you know, people out there enjoy watching, you know, both teams compete, both teams thinking about winning the game and not just, you know, playing defense and, and holding back, especially at home. So, I would think, you know, people like those first 15 minutes because it, it was it was a team that was exciting, that, you know, they, they always have energy. But especially this time around, I think they they did show some um, some of that um, Inter-Miami football that we saw in late in preseason. Um, and, and, yeah, probably in the first two games as well, even though uh, Campana was out, but they, they were, they, they show some glimpse of, of good football. So I saw it in the first 15 minutes. I thought... You know, after that, they, I think they did struggle. I I think the five three two formation. Um, obviously, Taylor was playing out of position, so I'm not going to judge him. I'm not going to ask him ask anything uh, from him. Um, but I I would say they did struggle a little bit with with uh, Kremaski, um, Dixon, and Ruiz because. Uh, 
Benga was not having a good night. Benja was not having a good night. He was not very good with the ball. And and he was the one that was supposed to lead the way in terms of the buildup. Uh, I think Ruiz and Dixon, they are good defensively, but they are not very good with the ball. Dixon, I, I said it from the first day, I don't think he's very good with the ball. He's not going to help you in the buildup. And I think Ruiz, he's too slow right now. He needs to learn to speed up the game a little bit. Um, he Once he gets the ball, then he thinks what he wants to do, and then he actually uh, moves the ball around. I think his the timing is not there for him right now. So I think they struggled with that. Um, you know, hmm. interesting. So they 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 lacked a, a midfielder with good. Yeah, they missed passing Mota. range. Oh, okay. Yeah, they missed Mota. They missed Mota. Is that is that what you want me to say? Yeah, they they missed Mota. But Benja, if Benja had a good night, then you know, things would be just about the same when Mota is in. So, but he had a good a bad night because he's a youngster and he's gonna have. Good nights and bad nights. And and then again, I think, you know, I, I like that um, Yetlin was a little bit more aggressive. I think with negative being out of the lineup, maybe he took in the responsibility to, you know, be a little bit more aggressive on the right side. Obviously, that means that he's going to struggle running back, which he did. But um, I think missing Christoph as well, I thought it would be a bigger problem, but it wasn't. So I would say overall, it's, it's a good performance, okay performance for this team. But, you know, I would expect them, especially at home, to, to be a little bit more consistent offensively in, in terms of those first, first 15 minutes. Maybe I, I like them so much that I want to see that brand of soccer in South Florida. And um, unfortunately, it was there for only 15 minutes. I'm rolling my eyes, Jose, because you just, you, you've said it. They missed Mota. You know, they don't have Gregory. Christoph, who, who is a starting center back on the team, was also out, and yet they beat the top team in the Eastern Conference. Yes, Inter Miami was at home. Yes, MLS teams historically do be, do well at home. It's hard to win on the road in MLS consistently. But Inter Miami got it done, Jose. They got it done, despite all those things, despite missing those players, with a, with a lineup that is weakened and not as talented or as first choice as we would have said a month and a half ago, or even missing two months players. ago. New England was they were missing players as well. So I mean, New England I, is the I, top team in the Eastern Conference. Jose, yeah, Inter Miami, Inter Miami was in 14th not too long ago. Like it's it's uh, it's ba- baffling, mind boggling, mind boggling, mind boggling. Well, you you remember what Phil said after the win against Montreal? They were the top team last year in the league. Yeah, but they're, it's not it's not the same team. I mean, why do you have to look at the other team when you know Inter Miami very well? You know Inter Miami because the other team, Jose, the other team. This is football again. This is not golf. This is football. The other team juega. El otro equipo juega. The other team plays. The other team has a, a dictates as well how a game unfolds by how they I'm perform. Tell you, I'm, I'm not going to ask Inter Miami to to dominate the game for 80 minutes out of 90 minutes. All I'm saying is, if they did it for 15 minutes, Jose, you, you under, Jose, it, when a game begins, you understand that like one team can come out flying, right? Like they just came out energized and and there's talk about that all the time, just riding the wave of the first 15 minutes and then letting the game mellow out and then then really setting your foot and getting your foot underneath you the first 10 15 minutes 
Like, one team could just come out flying. Boom, boom, boom. High pressing. Energetic. Buzzing all over the place. But they can't... You can't sustain that for 90 minutes. Which is why teams, especially away teams, will be like, all right, we know that they're going to come out on fire during the first 15 minutes, during the first quarter of an hour. But then after that, then after that, we'll find our footing. Let's not let them score. We'll find our footing, and then we'll grow into the game. And look, New England, those first 15 minutes, they should have given up a goal to Leonardo Campana, who had a great look on the left side, and it was well saved, very good save. I mean, you would expect Campana to put that one away. It was a good save, but Campana should have done better. Nonetheless, Inter Miami scored shortly thereafter through David Ruiz, so they got their early opener all the same. Uh, that one was off a deflected shot, but a byproduct of Inter Miami pushing the game and taking the game and dictating the tempo for a large part of those first 15 minutes. Now, again, then New England, still one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, coached by Bruce Arena, who knows MLS through and through. You can say whatever you want about him at the international level and what kind of a coach he is there, but in MLS, he has proven to be one of the best, if not the best in the league's entire history. He said they gave the game away. They should have won that game. Do you agree with him? Do you agree with him? I don't particularly, but I mean, just saying. I mean, he he, he also said that the first 15 minutes for them were disgraceful, the way they started the game. And I thought Inter-Miami did good enough, you know, to put them in that position. So you give Inter-Miami credit, but at the same time... Say it's not progress. Okay. Anyway. I mean, no, I said the first 15 minutes are more progress than the last two games. My problem with Inter-Miami is not this game. My, prog- my problem with Inter-Miami is not this game. I'm okay with the game against New England. I'm okay with that. I think that's, that's, that's okay for Inter-Miami. But I do not connect this game to the previous games and the performances. I think it will be misleading. It will be unfair to the performance that Inter-Miami put out there against New England, if you compare that to what they did in the previous two games in which they were lucky to get the W. Jose, Inter-Miami had 42% of the ball in this game against New England. They had seven shots in contrast to New England's eight. Inter-Miami put four of those shots on target. New England only put two on target. Did Inter Miami maybe have a better spell of attacking soccer during those 15 minutes, first 15 minutes? Yeah, probably. Than they have for much of the other games. But the key ingredient for this team is the defensive side. How solid they were for much of the 90 minutes. They were not perfect. Again, they give up an equalizer off of a goal that should have been handled better. Both Dixon Arroyo and the center backs... Failed to close down on Carles Hill. Yes, they pushed him on his right foot, but still gave him way too much time and space to pick out uh, the bottom right corner, which a player of his caliber, former MLS MVP, can absolutely do. I mean, you could see by his movements and how he was when he got on the ball, que era el diferente en la cancha. He was the different one on the field, right, in terms of the quality that he has. The ability to turn, the ability to move, the ability to dribble, the ability to pick out a pass and combine. Like, you could see that he was el habilidoso, the most talented one on the field in terms of playing with the ball. But that 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 moment, besides that goal, didn't it remind me give up a whole lot? No, the foundation of this turnaround has been becoming more defensive-minded. 
becoming more rudimentary in the way that they play. And Phil Neville said it after after the game when I asked him. He said, five-man backline. This time he didn't say three. Like sometimes he, he has in the past try to try to paint the picture that this this setup is an attack-minded setup. He said five at the back. Because that's what they are. They're, they're five defenders. Five defenders. And that's been the ingredient that has allowed Inter Miami to find its footing again this season. They've gone back to basics. It's not pretty. 100%. It's not pretty. But for this team, under this head coach, that's what's leading to results. And that is progress, Jose. That is progress. But you don't have to agree. We don't have to keep you know, banging the same drum. I'm just letting my point be clear. I've said it for la- for the last uh, the last couple of shows. Said it with Andrea, but it's the first time we've had you on since uh, since that game or that show that followed the game against Columbus. So, uh, nonetheless, we'll we'll move on to an individual performance, and that is the young Catracho, the young Honduran, David Ruiz. I'm sure you're look. I'm sure you are not only beaming because you know one of your compatriots playing for Inter Miami did so well as a youngster to be the difference maker in this game but especially at that age at this stage right before he goes to the under 20 world cup so jose your thoughts on the overall performance from david ruiz who again scored the opener got the assist on the game winning goal and then gets red carded late on we'll dive into all of that in more detail here, but just your overall thoughts on the performance David Ruiz put forth. I think it was good. I think it was good. Um, I'm still a little bit concerned that, you know, everything has happened maybe too fast for him. Um, I I thought at the beginning of the season that, and I think I said it on the pod when, you know, when when they first uh, signed him to, to the loan deal, um, that I just hope that they will be patient with him because um, I still think there are things within his game that he needs to develop. You know, I, I really like him as a kid. And um, uh, I think, you know, of course with, I, I know his, you know, his background. So um, I, I, I'm happy for him, but I'm a little bit concerned at the same time that, you know, he gets to sign the first contract on the same day that he gets the, the first team contract on the same day that he gets called up to the national team for the World Cup. Um, you know, it's a lot happening for him, and then he gets this big game, which you know it's it's great for him to score. And um, but more than the goal, I think you know that play that leads to the Joseph Martinez goal. I think that play right there tells you who David Ruiz is as a player, and uh, and, and and that was great. But you know, I'm I'm still. I think you know it's 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 not about when you're doing well. How do you act? How, how do you react? But also when things are not going your way, how how do you stand your ground? And 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 I think you know David has yet to go through that. So um, hopefully the team will be patient with him because he's going to struggle at some point. Hopefully he goes to, to Argentina and and has a good World Cup over there. Which you know, it's not going to be easy because Honduras, uh, they just don't have a, a a solid team, so he might struggle there. Um, but I think this performance was was good. I I still believe I don't think it was great, 
but uh, I, I I think it was good. Like I said before, I think there's things within his game that he needs to get better at. He needs to move a lot faster the ball. I think the timing is way off there. He needs to move it a lot faster, be a little bit more decisive. The one thing, and, and with this I'll close out because it's been a long answer. Um, <laughs> thing, I didn't expect anything less from you here. Yeah, the one thing that I that I really liked, especially in the second half, is that he was a lot more vocal with his with his teammates. You know, he he you can see him talking to Dixon, you can see him talking to players around him, letting them letting them know. And you know, as a young player, that's 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 something that takes time. And you know, I think it's good for him that he's doing it already, because you know, you don't want to point out to Dixon Arroyo, you know, experienced player, national team player. Um, where he needs to pass the ball, right? But if you feel like you have the confidence, and I think he's running high on confidence right now, mm-hmm. so um, I think that's a very, a very good sign. And, and that, I think, is key, that he's playing with confidence, in addition to his fearlessness. Because, and again, I'm sure you'll smile either outwardly or inwardly, you're going to smile when I say this, but he plays with that Honduran fearlessness, that trademark Honduran fearlessness. You can tell he's not scared. He's not overwhelmed by the moment, by the matchup. You know, he just goes out there and competes, and he's confident right now because he's getting minutes and he's performing. So that goal, I agree with you wholeheartedly, is, you know, the biggest highlight of what I think David... Ruiz is right now you know a a tenacious midfielder who's not going to give up on a 50-50 ball who's not going to go down without a fight like he's you know like think think about it from a player standpoint right like that ball was over hit right and then I think uh was it Boateng trying to remember who it was but the New England Revolution player that was closest to it he had the advantage in terms of getting there first because he he was just closer to it but David Ruiz, in his head, was like, I'm not going to let this guy just win the ball like that. I'm going in for the ball. And I'm going to win it. I'm going into this 50-50 challenge. It might be a slide tackle, high up the field, but I'm going into this challenge, and I'm going to win that ball. Like, that's how much confidence, right? He, he must have had going into that play. And he goes, he slides, he wins it. Easy square pass to Joseph Martinez for the goal. I think that epitomizes, in this early stage, what David Ruiz is. Someone who will compete, someone who will fight, someone who will give his all. I agree with you, and Phil Neville, after the game, said very similar things. That there is, there are things to work on. Especially with the ball, right? Uh, Phil Neville noted his range of passing, some technical points, technique Probably as well some tactical. I don't. I don't believe Phil Neville said anything about tactical, but I do think that that's also part of what he's missing. But in terms of just going out there and giving Inter Miami just someone in that midfield that will be up for any challenge, I think that's what he's doing very, very well, very, very well. And Inter Miami's going to miss him now because he's off to the World Cup. That's just one less option that Inter Miami's going to have in that midfield. I will say that I do think, based on what Phil Neville said at a recent practice, that Harvey Neville will be an option, and I absolutely expect Harvey Neville to get minutes in that midfield at some point during this busy stretch. Because, Jose, who's left in that midfield? 
right? You've got but it, Dixon Arroyo. Not going to be too long. I mean, I mean, but he'll get a game. I think he's going to get at least a game there, right? Because you've got Dixon Arroyo, right? You've got Victor Uyoa. You've got Ben Ben uh, Benjamin Kremaski. That's it for your natural central midfielders. Pizarro's out with an injury. Gregory and Ginmota are out injured. The only other option there, unless you're bringing up someone from Inter Miami too, is from what Phil Neville said a few weeks ago, and, and he didn't make a big point of it. He just kind of mentioned Harvey. It's Harvey Neville. Harvey Neville will, I think, get a game there. Whether it's off the bench or, or starting, I think he's going to get a game there. Don't forget, he played there when he was just on, not a trial, when he was just on this visiting his dad excursion back in 2021 when Phil Neville first arrived. He played central midfield. He played in that midfield. I remember the, the scrimmage between Inter-Miami's first team and the second team right before the season started. Harvey Neville started for the second team as a six slash eight and he was pinging good diagonal balls but you know he's not necessarily seen as a central midfielder but nonetheless i think harvey neville's an option there since david ruiz is is leaving now back to david ruiz this is his biggest game he became the first inter miami academy prospect to score so very notable game for him and you know, I know you said you think it's a lot. You think that, you know, too much might be happening for him too fast, which, which you know, it can be a challenge for young players. You know, it's it, when you have a lot coming at you and a lot of positivity and, you know, a lot of praise, sometimes that can get to your head as a young player, right? And it can take you away uh, from focusing on the day-to-day and what you need to do to continue to grow, right? But that's why you have un entorno. You have an inner circle that has to help guide you. And that is, I think, instrumental to players' success in their careers. As much as their abilities and, and their own mentality, I think it's el entorno that a group that a player has, the group that he surrounds himself with, the inner circle, and how they help manage him. I think that is just as pivotal to having success. Yeah, I think Javi Morales is that person for him. Well, I'm talking about just, I mean, I'm talking about his agent, I'm talking about his family, whoever can, whoever helps him internally, besides, you know, what we yeah. see uh, on the field, you know, when, when things don't go well, like you said, or when things do go well, you know, not getting too high, not getting too low, keeping things in perspective, like Claudio Pizarro, Peruvian player who went on to, to have tremendous heights in European football, not so much with the national team, but with European football, you know, he even talked about that, he said, a lot came at me very quickly, early on. And like I, I was getting distracted, but his family and his entorno, his inner circle, they brought him back down to reality. They told him, "Hey, no, you need to focus a little more on this, this, and this, and less on this, this, and that." And that helped him. And he had a very successful career in Europe. Uh, probably the most successful Peruvian player uh, in terms of a, a career over across the pond. You know, he won the Champions League. He's played for Bayern Munich. You know, he's a legend at Werder Bremen. I've I've actually watched. Borussia Dortmund versus Werder Bremen, and you can see all the Pizarro jerseys. Like he's a legend in that town. So, anyway, the going back to David Ruiz, it's it's a, it's a very big game for him. It's his best game so far. Uh, you know, aside from the goal, aside from the assist, you know, he he put in a ton of work. Again, not the most polished with the ball, but he's young, and and he should improve in that aspect. I don't ever think he's going to be a ten, but he can improve with the ball. And be a, a very big building block for Inter Miami. Yeah, no, I don't think he wants to be a ten. 
I'm t- I, that's my exaggerating way of saying, like, technically, I think he's he's a bit limited. He'll get better, I think, with time. But uh, right. his strengths are in his effort, in his fearlessness, his his tenacity, his range, you know, his energy. Th- that that those are the qualities I think that really give yeah. him his his strongest points. And look, he he on the field, he doesn't look like a kid to me. I agree with you that. You know, he might take a little too long with some of his decisions. Uh, I think that, you know, technical skills have something to do with that there. Like, he's not the most technical, um, although he can do well in tighter spaces, like on the dribble. But in terms of his passing and his ability to bring down the ball, probably not the most technical. I think, I would, I would, I would say that's not a problem. I just think the timing is not right for him. You know, when, when the instinct tells you to move the ball faster then, you know, technically he's going to look a lot better. But I think he's good with the ball. The problem is that he's just taking way too much time and then pressure comes and then he just, you know, throws the ball. He's he's probably getting used to the faster level of play as well, right? Because the higher level you go, the faster the game is. And this is probably the fastest that he's played in his life, right? And in his short career, his, his burgeoning career that just started... This is probably the fastest he's ha- he's had to play, and I'm sure he's you yeah. know he's going through the growing pains of that. But the the early signs are encouraging, you know. And and this is this is something I wish we could go into more detail with uh, on this show. Maybe we'll have to save it for when Andrea and I speak later in the week. But you know, Phil Noble has on multiple occasions in recent weeks talked about how much he values and how high he is on this young crop of Inter Miami talent or talents. And he's mentioned a few by name, right? Like he's named, for example, Benjamin Kremaski, David Ruiz. He's named Ian Frey, who just played for the second team, his first official competitive minutes back. He's mentioned Harvey Neville. He's mentioned Schneider Borgelin. He's mentioned Noah Allen. One player that he has not mentioned as part of being this, you know, this, like, this, what it sounds like is going to be a core group for Inter-Miami going forward, Edison Ascona. Did not mention him, which I think is interesting. It's happened more than once now. And I know Ascona's away with the Dominican Republic under, under uh, 20 national team. Well, to be fair, Ascona is not an Inter-Miami product. To be fair. But Ascona signed a homegrown contract, right? So technically he's a homegrown player. It's not Harvey Neville didn't sign a homegrown contract. He's not a homegrown player, but... When Phil Neville talks about this young crop of promising prospects, he mentions Harvey. He does not mention Edison Ascona. So I think that's telling. I think that's telling for what Inter-Miami, you know, behind closed doors, who they view as part of their future and who they don't. And Ascona, look, Ascona, this is his, what, his third season with the first team? And he's still not regularly making the bench. So... Maybe his future won't be long for Inter Miami. Maybe he's not seen as part of that that longer term vision. Rightly or wrongly, whatever your opinion is, it just doesn't sound like he is at this point. Maybe if he comes back from the World Cup, tears it up at the World Cup, and changes Phil's mind, and all of a sudden starts getting into MLS games and starts helping Inter Miami win, that can change things completely. But based yeah. off of what we're hearing right now, it doesn't sound like it is in Ascona. And based on what we've seen, hasn't been uh, yeah. hasn't been regularly turned to during these these two seasons and change, he doesn't seem to be a big part of that future. And I've, listen, I've always had questions. I know you disagree, I think. or I know Andrea disagrees. I'm not sure about you. But I've always thought 
there are very good technical qualities and attacking qualities, but does he have enough to translate that to being a regular first-team contributor at the MLS level? Uh, I, I have real questions about that. But anyway. I think there's talent right there, but it's on him at this point. You know, he has had opportunities, and... Um... And he just hasn't taken advantage of them. So the World Cup is big for him. You know, maybe that opens up another opportunity. It seems as well like the coaching staff here, you know, they don't feel very comfortable giving him um, opportunities. Uh, I think he had a good preseason then. You know, the injury came and um, that pretty much slowed everything down for him. So, I don't know. I think maybe he needs to move away from Inter-Miami, find someplace else. Do you think he projects as a 10 going forward in his career? He's 19 now. He'll be 20 later this year. Do you think he projects as a 10? I think he can be a 10, yeah. I would take away defensive responsibilities from him and just let him have fun. You know, go go look for the ball. Give me assists. Give me goals. Forget about defense. I'll I'll have somebody else do that for you. Just give him freedom. Give him freedom to be a 10, to roam around the area of the box and – I think that's his position because when you put defensive responsibilities, I don't think he's ready to take on that. Okay. So speaking of defensive responsibilities, David Ruiz has defensive responsibilities. And to close out his eventful night against the New England Revolution, and I'm sure he won't forget anytime soon, it finishes with him getting a red card, a second yellow, a sending off. Now, there were jokes that, He's the first player in Inter-Miami history to have earned three yellow cards because he should have earned one minutes earlier for a foul that, for mistaken identity, didn't go to him. But he gets sent off for uh, a stoppage uh, or for delaying a restart. Phil Neville wasn't too happy about that after the game, which I don't really agree with, you know, in terms of the outlook of, like, oh, the referee should have more common sense because, you know... Uh, David Ruiz is a young player, and you know there's you know, no rules for it. What, yeah, right, exactly. That's why, like, I like Phil's argument. I didn't agree with, like, there. Like, it just didn't make sense. So what? Because he's a young player, and and he does something silly that the referee has to take that into account and be like, oh, okay, well, you know, I won't send him off because of that. I mean, no, he's he's just like anybody else on, on the field at that point, and he made a mistake, and he got sent off. But nonetheless, that left Inter Miami with ten men. For the second home game in a row, they had to see it through, grind it out, and they did. Just your thoughts on the red card? Because you know, I think it's just the normal up and down nature of playing youngsters. You know, they're going to have highs, real highs, and then they're going to also have some lows. You know, it, it wasn't necessary for him to do what he did there to get sent off and put Inter Miami in that position. You know, if Inter Miami ends up conceding a goal then, you know, his game doesn't look so great. Then I don't think he's he's brought into the press conference room to do the post-game interview. I think the whole thing changes had Inter Miami given up an equalizer after he was sent yeah. off. But I, I think, they held on. I think, you know, the decision was was to make up for the referee. You know, he, he, I, I, he probably remember that, you know, he showed um, Ruiz a yellow card early in the first half and that he probably should have sent him off. You just for a that few foul, yeah. Later. So he just waited for the next opportunity to show him the second yellow and maybe clean things up a little bit. Made amends. Probably New England was all yeah. in his all in his ear, um, you know, about like how he got that one wrong, and, they should, and maybe he, you know, he he corrected that mistake. Yeah, because I mean, to be honest, you know, it's it's a fifty fifty call. I, I don't know if he even saw it. Like if he when he held the ball, he did it for like maybe a second or two. So there was not that big a deal when it comes to delay of game. So. Eh, I think it was just a, a makeup call from, from
from you know the missed yellow that he had a, a few 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 minutes before that. Yeah, so I, I just you know I'll, unless you have something to add, I just think it's again part of the process, the growing pains of playing youngsters. Uh, you know, even go back to Andres Reyes when he was with Inter Miami. You know, he he would have some really good games and then some really poor games where he would make mistakes. It's just part of the experience, gaining experience, part of the cutting your teeth. Uh, at that level, just part of the process for most youngsters. You know, maybe there's some youngsters that really, really just take off and just, you know, don't have very many mistakes uh, early on. But more often than not, you see this. You see the up and down nature of roller coaster. You know, it's, you know, I'm doing a hand gesture here. You can see, like, if I was doing a graph, it'd just be up and down, up and down. At some point, once they get more experience and once they get a little more rodaje, a little more seasoning, a little more experience, then that, that, that levels out a little bit, and then you see a little bit more consistency in terms of performance levels, which I think we'll see eventually. Right now, it, it's likely for him, like it is for Benjamin Kremaski, like it would be probably for Noah Allen, Ian Frey, Harvey Neville. It's going to be up and down, which, again, I think is normal, but we'll see how that impacts the season. I, listen, I do think Inter Miami has, like, you know, I think Phil, ne- Phil Neville wants to, like, leave... Uh, like that legacy that he helped enter Miami. Is that his bring... legacy? I think I think that's part of what he wants because the I way he talks about the that. youngers. If you talk to the players, I mean, most of the players will talk to you about Javi Morales, about Darren Powell. I don't know. I, I do think that that's part of the vision of the of the of the team, though. I think that, like, you know, because they've talked about they've talked about the, you know, the academy ad nauseum, right? And I and I made the point earlier this year that. Inter Miami says a whole bunch of things about the, about its academy and the youngsters and it wants to have players on the field competing that are local kids and blah, blah, blah. But they don't regularly actually do that because they're a team that's in a must-win-now mode. But not because of the injuries. A lot of, these, a lot of these youngsters are getting, or more of these youngsters are getting fast-tracked, and now they're having to play. And they're performing decently. So, you know, they're going to get more minutes. They've made cases for themselves. I do think that that's could be part of the inner Miami's longer, especially Phil Neville's longer vision and his hopeful legacy that he can leave a group of youngsters like maybe Manchester United in 1992, huh? class of 1992 that he was a part of, you know, a bunch of youngsters that came up together, went on to, to do good things with Manchester United on the first team. Maybe something like that is, is part of what the club's vision is for this, this young batch of, of players. Uh, let's move on. Jose, because I want to talk about Phil Neville because whether you think it's progress or not, the team has turned it around from a results standpoint. Do you agree with that at least? Would you say yes, they've turned it around from a results standpoint just based off of what we've seen in the standings? That I don't think we even have to debate. That We only have to look at the win column. Okay, I just have to make sure, brother. I have to make sure with you. I don't know what you're seeing out there sometimes. You know, that's why we we call you Island Jose. But anyway, anyway. Why is it? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. And I don't know if you you know you have the ability right now on the pod to give a profound analysis because I didn't really prepare you for this. I wanted to just have this more of like a conversation. And maybe later on in the season we can talk about it more once you have more time to think about it. But why does Inter Miami under Phil Neville regularly have to struggle and go through a very tough stretch to then find its way from a results standpoint? Not talking to you about from a soccer playing standpoint. No te hablo futbolísticamente. Te hablo de I'll resultados. I'll tell you right now. Why from results? All right, let's hear I'm it. ready. Go I'm ready. It. All right, I like the eagerness. Let's go. 
Because the head coach is inconsistent. Because in preseason, he works a, a formation, then a player goes down injured, and then he panics when he goes on a six-game losing streak, and then he needs to change the whole thing around, and then, you know, that takes some time, so players adjust, everybody adjusts to that. Once the other, once the opponents figure that out, then he changes things all over again. Then he moves players around to positions where they shouldn't be playing. And that's why they run into situations like this one. I mean, it's pretty clear. It, it, there's a reason why players go in and out uh, of the team. And, you know, the things keep happening. This is the same situation every single season that Phil has been here. Same thing happens. You know, I think this year more than any other, he panicked. He couldn't get eliminated that day of Open Cup against Miami FC. And and that's that's normal, I guess. You know, you know, coaches are humans and they can panic and you know try to figure things out quickly. So but I think that's the reason. Because, you know, there's no consistency from the head coach. Jose, I would love to dive into this topic in a lot more detail, but I think we're going to have to hold it for later in the season. But I agree with you to an extent that it is because of Phil Neville and where he's at at this early stage in his head coaching career. You know, I, I, because you talked about the injury, right? But like in other seasons, right? Like let's let's take let's take a step further back. Let's not just analyze this season. Over the three seasons, they've had bad spells, then responded with some good stretches. Why? Why? Because it's not like every season there's been an injury that has forced Phil Neville or injuries like that have forced Phil Neville into making these changes, right? Go back to 2021, his first season when Inter Miami was on that bad run, then they, they bounced back, and then they started to make a push for the playoffs. They ultimately didn't get there. Last year, they started poorly, bounced back, started struggling again. Then towards the end, thanks to Pozuelo and Gonzalo Higuain, they found a way to, to make it into the playoffs. Why, if you take a further step back, and maybe it is some of the elements you said there in, in, in your analysis or opinion, but why does this team struggle and then and then bounce back? Because I agree with you that I think Phil Noble has a big part to do with it. I think, you know, he has these ideas that he likes and that he wants to implement, but that he doesn't necessarily, I don't know if he has the best way to go about it or if he has the best ideas or if he has the best execution of the ideas or he has the best uh the best ability to deliver the message to sell the ideas because it, it clearly when they try to play attacking soccer or more attack minded soccer they struggle they've been at their best under him apart from maybe the second half of, of or the tail end of last year when they've been defensive minded when they've played five at the back when they've played a more rudimentary not aesthetically pleasing style and I think that there is an element of coaching inexperience there. I do agree with you just from my personal standpoint. I think he tinkers with the formation and the personnel way too much, you know, like playing players out of position. You know, we've talked about why all these players that have gone elsewhere, why they've thrived, right? Not, not, not just gone on to play well, they've gone on to thrive. Why so many examples of that? I think, you know, Phil Neville's inexperience as a head coach is a big part of that. What I think Phil Neville does well, and I'm going to personalize it a little bit, but I, I just think it is an example, and I don't know what your thoughts are, but I will personalize it a little bit here, is I think Phil Neville 
has a very good understanding of the human element of coaching. And I give, I'll give you some examples that I think to me are telling, but they don't have to do with the team. They just have to do with Sutrato, his treatment, or the way he, he acts off the field. On Saturday, he wished me a happy birthday during the post-game press conference. And I know, listen, I don't think I'm Phil Neville's favorite person. Like I've criticized him a lot. Uh, you know, I've, I've said when I thought he's done well, and I've said when I thought he hasn't done well. But he still wished me a happy birthday. And when my dad passed last year, Phil Neville, through Inter Miami's PR person, reached out with a long audio, you know, giving me his condolences, saying that my dad's very proud of the journalist I've I've become. You know, I think Phil Neville gets things on a human level. And I think that is where his strength as a, as a head coach lies. In addition to maybe also being able to understand that, okay, I can't insist with an idea if it's not working, right? Like the ability to be you know, self-critical and make changes when it's needed, I think that's also a strength of his. I, and listen, if you ask the players, I, I, don't, I can't recall any player over these almost three seasons that has raved about Phil Neville tactically. Can you? Do you, can you remember a time where somebody was like, they said some, you know, something more than just the standard, oh, the coaching staff knows what they're doing. Like any, do you remember any player raving about Phil Neville and the tactics and the, and the style and anything like that? Do you remember anyone? Maybe, maybe I'm blanking. No, no. So what would you say are Phil Neville's strengths as a head coach, right? We, we can talk about the weaknesses. What do you think his strengths? Because I just gave you what I think are, are, are mine. And I, you know, I use myself as an example, but you can listen to the team. They talked about last year when they went on a good run, they talked about building a culture. Right. They also talked about how they how they implemented uh, this like where they were doing like fashion Fridays or whatever it was where they were coming in instead of in team gear. You know, they were wearing like whatever they wanted to like just to make fashion statements. And, you know, that kind of helped build a team culture. Like, I think that's where his strength lies. I think tactically he still needs to define what he is and what he wants to be and how he's going to go about it. But I think his strengths lie there on the on the human man management style. Don't forget, Gonzalo Higuain was having a poor season last year. And then, sure, Gonzalo Higuain deserves a lot of credit. Pozuelo does too. But Phil Neville in managing Gonzalo Higuain and helping him to buy into things, I mean, he deserves credit for that. And again, that goes back to my point. I think that's where Phil Neville's strengths lie hoy in dia, today. It's in that man management, understanding that human aspect of the players. But what are your thoughts? Um, I don't know if I agree with that fully. I think, you know, I think it's just, he has been around the game for a while. He was a player. So I think he understands that there are bigger things than the game, you know, bigger things than winning against new England. Um, you know, just being a good person, like talking about your dad and your per and your birthday, you know, those are, those, those are details. Are, details. Those are details aside from the game. So it doesn't matter what you say on the pod or what you write, you know. Right, but if he's, I'm think, just saying, if he says that towards me, imagine what he's like with players that he works with day to day and who he needs to get the best out of. Like I, I read a fascinating piece this week on The Athletic on, Eric, on, on Eric Spolstra. But I, I read a fascinating, and, Eric, and like a big element to Eric Spolstra besides his, his actual uh, tactics is 
you know, his strategy in basketball is like how he he embraces confrontation, but also has a human element to his coaching style. And there's a bunch of different anecdotes from a bunch of different players, former and and current Heat players who talk about, you know, the things that that Spolstra has done away from basketball that make them feel valued as more than just players and that make them respect him to a different level. Again, I think Phil Neville has elements of that to him in terms of his relationship with players. I just don't know tactically if he's the, if he's you know the, the the most convincing coach out there. That's what I'm saying. What are your strengths? What do you think Phil Neville's strengths as a head coach? Um, I think the one good thing that I've seen from Phil in this time is uh, is the way he managed the locker room with the Gonzalo Wayne situation. Not the first year, but the second one. You know the way. He, I think that was a difficult year for Iwain, and I think he, he knew that he was retiring and that he needed to be patient. But still, I think, you know, there's some credit there into into that relationship between Phil and Gonzalo. It's not easy to manage. So I think that was good. I think that's probably the best thing that I've seen from Phil in his time here. Um, other than that, yeah, I think, you know, at times he struggles. I mean, he puts in the effort, I guess, that that's... There's no doubt about that. I think he he wants to do good for this team. It's just that, you know, maybe it's it's too early for him. I don't know. I don't know what's happening because, you know, the first couple of years, yeah, he had players that he didn't want. Not he didn't want. I don't want to say that because I don't want to put words in, him, in his mouth. But, you know, players that were not there because he chose those players. They just happened to be under contract. Um, this year is a little bit different, and yet, you know, similar situation is happening again. So... There's a long way to go, so maybe I'll see more. And if you ask me this question late in the year, then I'll have something else for you. But as it stands right now, I think it's it's a waiting game for me. So I'll, I'll close out by saying this. I think tactically, there's still a lot for him to figure out. Right? Like the, 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 We don't really know what Inter-Miami's playing style under Phil Neville is. Right? Do you have a defined playing style? Like if Phil Neville left tomorrow, he said, I, I resign. How would you say his team's played? In his time here, like, is there a defined style of play? Mm, not really, not really. I don't think Inter Miami. I don't think, I, I don't think there's an identity for Inter Miami. Exactly. So, like, I think tactically, and that's on him. There's a lot of shortcomings. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But I think again to reiterate, his strengths I think lie on. You just touched about Gonzalo Wayne and how he managed that situation. I think that's where. Phil Neville, and not every manager is like that, Jose, because you touched on Phil Neville's experience, but there's plenty of coaches who have all that experience in the world, and they don't do those things. You know, they just go to work, they, they talk to the players, they focus on the football, like, but they don't really necessarily tap into the human element side. Do you think Marcelo Bielsa is, like, t- tapping into the human element side of, of, of different I players? I don't know, I can't say. I mean, but, I can't say. But based on what you've heard and how, you know, like, I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so, but again, I, I haven't covered Marcelo Bielsa closely, but I think that's where Phil's, Phil's really his his strengths are. Again, there's different things he does to help build that culture, to help you know have the team feel connected to one another. I mean, I don't, I don't. Again, necessarily that doesn't mean that the players are buying into everything he's selling in terms of a tactical um, approach. But I do think that there's unity, there is togetherness, and then he did mention that post game. I asked him post game. Yeah, players need good coaches. Players need good coaches. Correct, which players is why, which is why, need, 
you know, if if you want to have a nice person around you, I mean, of course, exactly. Absolutely, so that's good. That, that's where I want to round out the work thought. environment. That's where but I want to round out the You want to have good coaches. That's where I want to round out the thought. With Phil Neville, I think Inter Miami has a certain ceiling. Like they're they're only going to get so far with him as a head coach. I think he is limited. I said that last week with Andrea, I believe. I think he is limited. Because tactically and, and where he is as a coach in this point of his career, I don't think he's the best match to taking into Miami to, to a championship. Which is why I think, and, and you know, I don't want you to, to spend another 10 minutes harping on it, but I think, I agree with you that they're more talented. They have more talent than they've shown, right? Like, they have players in that roster that, can, that are good on the ball. Robert Taylor, Stefanelli, who we haven't seen it consistently from this year. Part of it's on them, but part of it's on Phil Neville for not being able to find the best formation and system and setup and combinations to exploit their talents. So because of Phil Neville's limit as a coach, I think you can't expect them to play some fantastic brand of soccer and win in that way. Because they've never really proven under Phil Neville to be that type of team. They've been at their best when they've been defensive-minded, when they've been more pragmatic. And that's why I think it's progress in terms of what they can be under this head coach. I'll leave it there with regards to that, unless you want to add something. Otherwise, we're moving on. Move on. All right. So let's go really quickly to Nashville SC. Inter Miami plays the expansion brethren for the first time. uh, Well, it'll be the first of what is two games in a matter of Seven, eight days, because they play them in the Open Cup uh, a week from Wednesday. But this Wednesday, they travel away to Tennessee to take on a team that has some good talent. Hani Mukhtar uh, putting up a heck of a season. Uh, so it's going to be a challenge for Inter Miami. They'll be on the road. Last time they were on the road, it was against Columbus. They played very, very defensive-minded and snuck out a victory. Jose, what do you expect from this one for Inter Miami? Yeah, I expect them to be very defensive-minded. That's what I expect from them. They, they're going to have to try to stop Andy Mukhtar, find a way to do it. And I think that would be a good start. And for me, the key to this game is for them not to concede early. If they concede early, they'll, they'll be in trouble. But, you know, I think they are not under a lot of pressure. Not as much as, you know, what they, uh, what they went through against Columbus, per se. You know, I think now, you know, they, they know this is... You know, this is a game that you know they they might be okay if they don't win this game. They have another home game over home game over the weekend. Eh, I think you know it's they don't have a lot to lose here. So there's there's it's just kind of a kind of those games where if you approach it like with no pressure mentality, and then you might come out of there with a point. But I I, I just doubt it. But I expect them to be defensively minded. I, I expect the same. I expect you know based on something that Stefanelli I think said. Uh, during a question I asked at a recent practice that, you know, playing away from home, you know, might be very different from how they play at home. And that, to me, says they're going to be extremely defensive-minded against Nashville SC, maybe like they were against Columbus, and look to hit in the few moments that they can hit. Offset pieces, off the, you know, three or four attacking uh, moments that they have on the counter. Like, I, I think that's the type of game. It's, I think it's going to be a very ugly game for Inter Miami in terms of a stylistic standpoint and in terms of the game plan. But I think that that, that 
it's going to be how they go about it. And I think, you know, that's not necessarily the worst way to approach it given the circumstances. They're away. They're playing a good team. You know, Inter-Miami can't really go blow for blow with, with Nashville SC. They can't really try to play that game, I don't think. You know, Nashville SC is five wins, four draws, three losses. They've scored 15 goals and given up only seven. Third place in the East. So it's going to be a challenge. I think if they can get a draw, I think that that's a win. You know, I think that any result at Nashville is a good result given the matchup. Now, Inter-Miami has beaten better teams. You know, they've beat, uh, they beat New England. They beat Atlanta, you know, not too long ago. They beat Columbus. So they've shown that they can beat teams that are up in the up in the table. But I think a draw here would 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 suffice. On the road, I think that's that's good enough if you're Inter Miami. Jose, any lineup changes that you would expect? David Ruiz is out, of course. So there has to be at least one change to the lineup. Franco Negri, I'm not clear if he's back depending on what was the determination of his red card. I'm not clear if, you know, he might be out for more than one game because of what, what the referee deemed. I'm not sure. But let's assume he's back. So you expect him to slot back in. So he yeah, Christoph is still so he Christoph is probably still a question mark because he, he didn't dress over the over the weekend. So, you know, what what changes do you think we see? I, I think obviously Negri comes back if he's available. And I think Robert Taylor might play in the middle. I, I just I just have given up on the idea of Victor Ulloa starting for this team. So <laughs> I, I I would expect that Robert Taylor gets to start over, over David Ruiz. And then, you know, I think... Uh, yeah, I think you keep uh, Campana and, and Joseph. You know, the one thing that I don't like about, you know, that formation is that Campana needs to make an extra effort almost every single time moving down a little bit and trying to get a good touch so that he can fit Joseph. He fit Joseph. Well, right. Cause he has to, they have to progress the ball and then who else is going to yeah. do that? He's the one that has to drop and try to give him that link play more than yeah, Joseph can. And that's taxing for him, especially knowing his, you know, right. It takes him away from goal, right? He's playing, yeah. he's dropping further and further away from the opposing goal, which is, you know, takes him away from, having yeah. as many goal scoring chances so uh i don't know if they both start this week and on wednesday i don't know about wednesday you know i do think look i think it's a back five uh i think it's the usual suspects back there if if christoph can't go then you have the same you know three center backs which will be mcveigh sailor and, and miller if christoph is healthy he goes i think in the midfield you bring back in stefanelli for Ruiz, now, you know, I think I think there is a decent chance for Uyoa, just because, again, I think they're going to be defensive-minded, but I think one thing that Phil Neville likes, and this is not inside information, just my supposition, I think that Stefanelli's work rate, in addition to what he can provide you with the ball, I think that that's really, really something that Phil Neville likes. Because Stefanelli buzzes about, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but he runs, and he tracks back, and he, he puts in an effort. And I think, because of that, I think he comes back into the lineup and replaces Ruiz. Now, if I don't think Joseph starts, who comes in there as the extra midfielder? Because I, I think we could see that 5-2-2-1 formation again. Yeah, maybe Uyoa. Uyoa and Arroyo as the two sixes. And then the two tens will be Stefanelli and, and Kremaski with uh, Campana up top. And then the, the usual suspects at the back and in goal. So that's what I think. All right, so let's leave it there. We've talked for a good bit. We'll come back for a very quick Q&A, and our final thoughts, we'll do that after this. 
right, Jose, Q&A time. Let's go very quickly just to a couple here. And you know what? We're going to change it up. We're going to do some that are not Inter-Miami related. We'll start with Don Cafecito. Second leg of the Champions League is this week. Which teams do you want to see in the final? Forza Inter. And he puts the black and blue emojis with the snake. So not talking about Inter-Miami. He's talking about Inter-Milan. Jose, the real Inter. who? There you <laughs> the, <go>. Wow. <laughs> that. That's my team right there, so um, I, I second that thought. I hope Inter makes it to the final. I do not care about the rest of the teams in the Champions League. All right, but, but who, who do you think goes through? I think Manchester City goes through. Okay, so that's I... That's just me hoping Inter, is the, the <laughs> Inter moves on and they don't have to play Real Madrid. That's, 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 the, that's the thought behind I, I wonder why you love Inter. I wonder why you have this... this uh... It's it's my childhood team after Motagua. Motagua is blue, and so every morning, growing up in Honduras, the they they showed like um, there was a Sunday morning show that um, that highlighted all so, the goals from from Calcio from Serie A. Uh-huh. And so, so it has every, nothing to do with the with the famed Honduran that played there. No, I was. I mean, that was. I, I've been watching soccer from you know. So da- da- David Suazo, who, David you know, Suazo. who was on a very good in- Inter Milan team, was he on the team that won it in 2010? Was he on yeah. that team? Yes, early on, early on though. He he played a game or two early on, but I mean, I was an Inter an Inter fan way before that, way 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 before that. Okay, so you've just admitted you're an Inter Miami fan from way before that. Okay, got it. All right, no. understood. <laughs> Ever, ever. Uh, I mean, you have been accused of being a Miami FC fan on this podcast by uh, by some listeners. So um, we know we know the the Inter Miami uh, is just a professional um, relationship. So uh, all right, you know what? I will say what I would like to see. I would like to see AC Milan, and I would like to see Manchester City. I, listen, man, they've got Zlatan. I, I like Slatan. I like his his shtick and his persona, and I know he didn't he didn't play in the first leg and whatever. But I, you know, and he won't play exactly. in the second in the final. So, but I, you know, just so that he can say he won it again, you know, or if you know if they were, were winning again, you know, I, I would like to see AC Milan. Look, I, as a kid growing up, I was more Inter Milan than AC Milan. This at this point in my life, when, now that I'm you know a journalist and, and cover soccer professionally. It doesn't like I don't have a preference one way or the other in terms of which club I like more. It's just just based off of the personas and the stories. I think I would like to see Milan get there. On the other side, I'd like to see Man City because Real Madrid's been there. They've done that. They've won. You know, Pep has tried his darndest to to win one with Man City, and he hasn't been able to. So I'd like to see Man City go through. There's a chance that they don't because Real Madrid's always capable of pulling out that Champions League magic. But if you ask me who I'd like to see in the final, Milan and, and Man City. Milan and Man City. All right. Next question comes from Jay Vaz 8888 What's the status for parking at Drive Pink this weekend? Seem to hear about threat of a lot of closures every couple of weeks. Any interesting updates on the new stadium, work start, and any design concepts around. Saw that New York City FC released some design concepts for their new stadium last week. Jose, I know you like to talk about this. So I'll let you close it out here, and then we'll go to our final thoughts. No, well, I mean, I think that's that's an ongoing problem for, for Inter-Miami because they promised to build a park where, you know, it's the, is it the yellow parking? 
Correct me if I'm wrong. Ah, you're, test, you're testing my color knowledge here of Inter Miami's parking lots, and as much as I, as much as I like to pride myself in being comprehensive about all things Inter Miami, the the lot color. You know what? I'll say yes. It is the yellow lot because we park yeah. in the red lot, and I know the green lot is the other side. It's the north side. There's an orange lot that I think is. What is that? Uh, southwest. <laughs> so I think you are right that it's the yellow lot. I think. So yeah. So that's been an ongoing problem. They need to, you know, fulfill the promise and build a park there. Obviously, that's a, you know, that's something that, I guess we have to be used to by now. I mean, how many times have we heard that the stadium in Miami will be ready in two weeks? The the lease and everything and all that, and we just haven't seen anything at all. So. You know, hopefully they find a way to solve it. I don't know what else can I add to that because I haven't heard. And I think there's we're recording on a Tuesday, you said today? It's Monday, sir. Monday? Well, see, we're recording on a Monday. So, you know, it's, it's a long way to go until <laughs> until Saturday. And things happen, as you all know, in politics from one minute to the other. So things can change. So hopefully they get they get it all sorted out. All I will say to add to that, I think Jose did it very well there, is that we know our stuff, man. I'm impressed. That is the yellow lot. I'm looking at Inter-Miami's match day parking map, and I hit every single parking lot correct. The one I didn't mention was the blue lot, which is you know where the, the most expensive parking tickets are, which is right there in the parking lot next to the stadium, not in the gravel that, that we park on. There's also a brown lot that's across the street on commercial. Um you know, further south. So we even know our parking when it comes to Inter-Miami here on Miami Tuzan Football Radio. Uh, so we'll leave it there for the Q&A session. If we didn't get to your questions, don't feel discouraged. You know, we try to rotate and we try to get to as many as we can. We've had a, a long pod. So Jose, your final thoughts, I'll give mine and we'll wrap up after that. Uh, well, my final thought is on the Miami Heat, you know, completely unexpected. Um, you know, they are in the Eastern Conference final, so hopefully, you know, they put out a good showing. Um, I was there covering the game, the the game against the Knicks over the weekend. So it was just it's just fun to to watch people being happy and excited about the team winning. So um yeah, I think then it's gonna be a tough task against the Celtics, but if they have gotten in all the way into the Eastern Conference Conference Finals, I guess they have a chance. So we're going to have to wait and see. So I've got two final thoughts, Jose, because there's one thing that we didn't talk about this past weekend's game that I thought was very interesting, even if it's just for banter or talk. Inter-Miami fans, the supporters in La Familia, in the 10th minute, for the first time that I've ever heard, started chanting Messi. 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 I even saw some fans in the West Stand do the little bow, you know, like the, the people do for Messi because he's, you know, the GOAT or considered the GOAT. So I thought that was very interesting. Did you, did you, what did you make of that? Did you have anything you want to share on that? I thought that was just interesting. And clearly the fans are hoping he makes the decision to come to, to South Florida here this summer. Well, they probably saw well, thousands of people do it in Barcelona, and that's why. But why now? Why at this point? Clearly, like, you know, it's like a, they're People clamoring for him. Barcelona to try to, you know, entice Messi mm. to go to Barcelona. So I guess they're trying to do the same thing. Good point. Good point. All right. So the other talking point here to wrap up the show is that Victor Ulloa became the Inter Miami player with most appearances. 
both in the regular season slash playoffs, right? Combined appearances. He surpassed Gonzalo Higuain for that mark with his cameo off the bench in the match against the New England Revolution. So kudos to Victor Ulloa, who now is a record holder for Inter-Miami. Impressively enough, huh? Who, who would have thought? I know you didn't have that one in your in your books there, Jose. Uh, Back in 2020, it, there's no way you had Victor Ulloa as eventually becoming the all-time leader oh, uh, no. at some point in his career then, of no. Inter-Miami yeah. appearances. Whether I mean, it probably yeah. won't stand for very long. Someone will eventually pass him along the way, whether it's maybe one of these young young bucks that are coming through the, the pipeline. But, I mean, I never saw that happening. But, alas, there it is. So Good for Victor. <laughs> we'll leave it there. We'll come back later in the week, Andrea and I, to recap the match against Nashville C and preview the Sunshine Classico against Orlando City this weekend, which should be a doozy. So, for Jose Armando, a.k.a. Alan Jose... I am Franco Penizo. You have been listening to Miami Total Football Radio. <laughs> Thank you, Jose. And we will talk to you guys again in a matter of a